Well, hi again. Um, I just wanted to kind of announce to the body um, a little bit about what's been going on in the last few days with Linda and I. Uh, we had a fire at the store that uh, has supported us for the last 18 years here in town. Um, due to that and due to the weather that's around the store, uh, that's outside now, I guess, and the exposure to the water from the fire department, who did a fantastic job, by the way. I need to put a plug in for those guys. Um, the store inventory and the equipment and that kind of stuff's lost. Uh, I, I say that not to get sympathy or anything like that, you guys, but as Linda and I have been growing in our walk with Christ, as we, as we have been led down this path and understand God's sovereignty, understand his goodness, understand his wisdom, and as we have truly set our lives aside uh, to follow him, to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him, uh, he has, by and through his great grace, granted Linda and I the peace to get through this thing, um, the, the peace in understanding that, that he's moving our lives in a different direction, uh, the inventory and equipment is, is lost. We've been blessed with an insurance policy that covered our, our, uh, our assets, I guess, down there. So we'll see, you know, by his grace, we're taken care of in that regard. We don't know what direction we're going to go with our lives at this point now. And as, as we just stand up here before our brothers and sisters here in this room in Christ, um, we want to first off just reach out and thank everybody for their support, for their their reaching in and and offering so much support and love, not only within the our our family here at Crook County Calvary Chapel, but in the family of Christians around this town, uh, the Prineville Body of Christ. Let's just put it that way. Um, along with a lot of other friends around, you know, the, the support's been overwhelming. Um, as Linda and I talk to each other in the evenings and that kind of stuff, and we're kind of in awe as to the direction that the Lord's going to be taking us, where we're going to go from here, it's, it's in a weird kind of a way, sort of exciting in the trust that we have with him that he does not grow us in faith without trials, there is, not, there is no growth in our um, getting near him, understanding him more without going through these kind of trials and watching him hold our hand and, and guide us through these. We don't want to be um, those Christians, as it says in Matthew's gospel account, that were seeds that were thrown out on shallow ground that sprang up in a hurry, and when the first trial and tribulation came by, you know, they shrunk up because of the cares of this world. Um, we, as true followers of Christ, as we, as we separate ourselves from this world and understand that this is not the world, um, we are not of the world, that he has a greater plan for us. God will be glorified in all these things. He'll be glorified, you know, in Linda's and my relationship and our marriage. He'll be glorified as we walk in peace um, before an unbelieving community of people as they watch and see um, Christ living out in us and through us, through this thing. God will be glorified. Uh, he will be honored um, in this time. And uh, I was just asked, you know, to come up and make sure that we have an opportunity to at least show a face to this, what could be a disaster in the world's eyes, you know, we know is one of probably the most exciting times in our lives walking with Christ. So if there's any, any prayer requests in, in and of all of that, it's that God be glorified in the midst of all this in front of a um, dark, unbelieving community, um, that we be shining as beacons of light, not only in this body here, but in us as individuals through all of this. Um, and that God be glorified again 
in and through what we decide to do, what God moves us to do, you know, from here on out. So as, as Job, um, the book of Job in the Old Testament was kind of our example, you know, as to where he had every single thing stripped from him, relationships, material things, um, livelihoods, that kind of stuff. You know, we hear Christ from his throne saying, do you trust me even in this? As he says, naked I came into this world and naked I will leave it. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, let's glorify God in this situation and let's allow him to move for his glory always. So thanks you guys. Uh, Chad? Well, good morning. We, uh, we were sitting around breakfast this morning hearing, uh, hearing Blaine's story, and uh, man, you got to stand up in front of the fellowship and just share that. We're, uh, we're pretty quick to praise God when things go our way, and we're not always so quick to praise God when things don't go our way. But God's not sitting on his throne surprised. He's not uh, caught off guard. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 that if two things are true of you, if you love God and if you're called according to his purpose, that everything is for your good. And so often in this life, we, <clears throat> we pin our hopes on things other than Christ. And we pin our hopes on our jobs or our family, whatever, you fill in the blank. And when those things go away, if that's where our hope is, then it, then it shakes us. But the Bible tells us in Hebrews that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when our hope is in him... These things can come and go, and they, they don't necessarily shake us to the core because our hope is in Christ, who never changes. And so, anyway, we just wanted to give Blaine and Linda an opportunity to, to share that, not to, not to lift up people or not to praise people, but just to show how great our God is and that uh, what it looks like when, when people put their hope in Christ. And so be encouraged by that, you guys, by their example, and, and uh, live likewise. So we're going to be in Romans 3 this morning. Uh, Rory's not here, as you can see. He's, he's been fighting sickness off and on for, gosh, I think a few weeks now. Uh, but anyway, lost his voice yesterday, so I got the phone call uh, yesterday about uh, filling in today. And uh, didn't really have time to put anything together to continue our way through 1 Corinthians. But uh, many of you guys know that uh, Kevin and Aaron and I have been uh, filling in down at Calvary Chapel Lapine, and we go down there once about every, I don't know, six weeks or so. And the good part of that is that when situations like this come up, then uh, we've got something ready to go. <laughs> and so we've been teaching our way through Romans with the people of Lapine, and, and uh, we just trust in a situation like this that, that God is sovereign and that God has a plan and that this is the message that, that God would have for us today. So i uh, just excited to, to get into uh, the last part of Romans chapter 3. We'll be in verses 27 to 31, so just the last few verses of the chapter. So let me go ahead and pray for us, and then we'll, uh, we'll dig in. <clears throat> God, so thankful for today and thankful uh, just for the fellowship of believers who uh, you've knit together uh, under the banner of the gospel. Uh, God, excited that we get to be involved in one another's lives and that we have a time set aside uh, each week where we can gather corporately and lift up your name and dig into your word and, and give you opportunity, uh, God, corporately just to speak to us. So just prayerful today that you would do just that, that you would speak to us today. Uh, God, that you would uh, change hearts today, not, not because of me or not because of anything else that happens here, but simply because <clears throat> your word is true and your word is powerful. Uh, so God, just uh, change us today as a result of hearing your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so when I, was a, when I was a freshman in high school, I was probably about 120 pounds, ringing wet. Wasn't the big guy that I am today. And <laughs> it was my first opportunity to, uh, to take a weight training class. I was really excited to, to bulk up a little bit. And so I signed up for a weight training and uh, got in the class. And a few weeks into it, was just really excited to learn how to lift weights and felt like I was 
packing on a little bit of muscle, and, and one day we all decided just to see how much we could bench press. You know how guys can be. And so we're in the weight room. Each guy takes their turn, and it gets to me, and I'm probably the, the scrawniest guy in there uh, on this particular day. And uh, much to my surprise, I bench pressed 240 pounds. And uh, I was feeling pretty good about myself. And uh, word started to spread around the school that, like, this little freshman bench pressed twice his weight. And uh, walking down the halls over the next couple of days, and I got guys coming up to me, patting me on the back, you know, some of the football players, like, I can't even do that. Way to go, man. And got quite a bit of accolades. And uh, after a few days of, of reveling in my accomplishment, one of my lifelong pals, we've been pals since kindergarten, me and my friend Steve, he was spotting for me that day. And uh, he pulled me aside and he's like, hey, I just want you to know that I helped you lift that. <laughs> I was like, what? He's like, yeah, you didn't, you didn't do that on your own. You, you had some help. <laughs> and so at that moment, we decided that that was going to be our little secret. <laughs> and it wasn't going to spread. <laughs> and uh, I continued for several weeks to get the pats on the back and the, a lot of the older upperclassmen. You know, I, I earned some respect. I had some street cred in the school uh, for something that I really didn't do. <laughs> And uh, the secret didn't come out till, till much, much later, and now you guys all know. Um, but funny story, but there's a purpose, purpose to that. Today, uh, as we get into the end of Romans 3, um, Paul, up to this point, and, and I realize you guys don't have the, the context of the rest of the chapter, up to this point, Paul has is, is been working very hard to establish, really from the beginning of Romans, but in particular in chapter 3, <clears throat> that man is not righteous. No matter what walk of life you come from, uh, here, there, wherever, that man is not capable of attaining righteousness. He tells us in Romans 3.23, a scripture I'm sure that's familiar to, to some of you, that all have sinned and that all fall short of God's glory or God's <clears throat> standard, right? The bad news. But then he goes on with some good news that... that God has made available to us the gift of salvation, and it's absolutely free, and we don't do anything to earn it. And so in the, the few verses that we're going to look at today, uh, with that serving as a context, Paul is going to ask three questions of us. The first question is going to be, what becomes of our boasting? <clears throat> the second question is going to be, is God the God of the Jews only? And the third question is, does faith overthrow the law? And in each of these three questions, Paul is going to um, present before us uh, three false dichotomies, and he's going to shatter those dichotomies with the message of the gospel. So let's get into uh, this first question of what becomes of our boasting. Let's read verses 27 and 28 of chapter 3 of Romans. He says, then what becomes of our boasting? Is it excluded by what kind of law? By law of works? No, by the law of faith. For we are told that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And so here's where we see this first dichotomy that Paul creates, this first division. And he pits against one another faith and works. Right? The reason I share that story with you guys um, I boasted for quite a while in an accomplishment that really wasn't mine, an accomplishment which I didn't accomplish. And, and I think that, that that can be, it's a silly picture, but kind of a true picture of how we approach the Christian life sometimes. We, we may have an understanding that the righteousness that's credited to us is not our own, but we still have this tendency to boast as if it was as if it's something that we achieved, as if it's something that we attained. And, and like I read this, and, and my first thought in this is, okay, well, why would Paul ask this question? What becomes of our boasting? Right? If, if everything that he wrote up to this point is true, if it's true that man is not righteous, if it's true that, that, that righteousness only comes from God, if it's true that, that I can't live up to God's standard, that I can't live up to God's plan, why, why would I boast if that's true? And so we get past that, and Paul just asks the question, what becomes 
of our boasting. And I think that the reason that Paul asked that question is because we have a tendency to boast. We have, an attendant, we have a tendency to claim an achievement that we didn't achieve as if it were our own. We do that. And if we didn't do that, Paul wouldn't need to ask the question. Right? We, we may come to an understanding. Some of us may not. Some of us may have an understanding that my salvation, I, I didn't earn, right? Jesus died on the cross, right? We, we may have a, just a cursory understanding of the gospel where we can say, okay, I realize that, that, that I couldn't save myself and I was in need of a savior. I, I realize that's true. But, but I think where, where we can go wrong at times in this Christian life is that we feel the need, however, to maintain something that was given to us for free. We feel like we have to maintain or that we have to earn earn the right to hold on to something which we didn't really gain in and of ourselves in the first place. And so in order to address this, Paul pits two things against one another, faith and works. And so in this, we, we have two, two different camps sometimes that emerge inside the church. Right? We have the, the one camp that says Christianity is all about just believing. You just have to believe. You don't have to do anything. It's all about belief. And, and that's, that's true. But then we have this other, other camp that, that pops up and says, okay, it's not, it's not just about believing. Like, you have to do stuff. There's stuff that Christians should do. There's things that good Christians do. And, and, and that's actually true as well. And what we're going to find out is that these two, it's not, it's, not a, it's not a dichotomy that needs to exist. These things are not mutually exclusive, faith and works, but actually that they go together and they can't be separated. But, but in these two camps, it's all about faith or it's all about the things that you do. And so, so some people will say you just, you just have to believe. Just believe that God is real. Believe that God exists. Right? And Romans chapter 10 tells us right, that if we would desire to be saved, that we would just have to believe in our heart. We would confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. Right? That's true. That's in the Bible. I want to talk about this, this belief for just a moment. <clears throat> it's important that we define what faith is or what we, that we define what belief is according to biblical terms. And, and what it is not is simply acknowledging that God is real. Right? What, what faith or what belief is in biblical terms is not just mental assent. It's not just knowledge. Right? When the Bible talks about having faith or having a belief, every time it's talking about a faith or a belief that leads to some sort of action. In other words, it plays itself out in the way that you live your life. And this is where the connection comes between <clears throat> faith and works. On the other side of the coin, on the works side of the coin, one thing that we often do I've been guilty of in my life, and I'm guessing many of you have as well, is that as good Christians in our effort to, to be good, in our effort to do good, in our effort, sometimes even well-meaning to, to do the things that we should do, we, we create a couple of lists, right? We make a list of, here's, here's all the things that a good Christian does, Right, but put whatever you want on the list. Right, we're nice to my neighbors. I I show up uh, when the doors are open at the church. I sign up for work days. I'll drop my check in the box from time to time. I'll when people are in need, I'll help. Right, we have those kinds of things on 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 this list over here, uh, and then simultaneously we have this other list of here's the things that good Christians don't do. Right, we. We don't listen to certain kinds of music or watch certain kinds of movies or don't go to certain establishments or don't engage in certain activities. And we try hard a lot of times to, to maintain both of those lists. And I'm sure if we went around and pulled the room and asked everybody how you're doing, what we're going to find out is that, that nobody is perfectly keeping either list. Matter of fact, what ends up happening is I, I do the things on the, on the don't do list and I don't do the things on the do. Like I get them backwards, right? And that's our struggle as Christians. And we begin to then feel guilty. Like, man, I, just, like, I can't even do either one of them. Like even on my best day, I can't do either one of them very well. And we know this. Yet we continue to work hard at it. 
because we feel like it's our duty to, to maintain the gift that God has given us. And, and what Paul is going to show us, what we're going to see by the time that we're done today, is there's a couple of different things that can motivate us in these directions. And on the outside, like the finished product may look very similar, but the thing that motivates us to get there is very different, and it makes all of the difference in the world. And so we'll talk about that shortly. But before we talk about that, uh, in the book of James, chapter 2, you can turn there if you want, or you can just listen. Uh, James, chapter 2, verses 14 to 26, sheds a little bit of light on this. And James writes this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone, and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So a lot there, and we could spend a lot of time camping out there today, and, and just for the sake of time, we won't. But, but James brings a few things to light that, that tie into what Paul is telling us in Romans chapter 3. And it's that you can't separate faith and works. The Christian life is not about either what you believe or what you do. It's about both. What you believe will dictate what you do. What you believe will dictate the way that you live your life. Or in other words, the way that you live your life is going to prove what it is that you believe. And he gives this example that if you see somebody in your fellowship lacking and your response to their lack is, oh, be warm and be filled, or what we might say today is, hey, I'll pray for you. I hope things work out. We'll see you later. Right? If that's your response, if you have the ability to meet a need of somebody in the fellowship and your response is, hey, good luck with that. I hope it works out. James is saying that you're not putting faith into action. Matter of fact, he might even be saying there's not faith there to be put into action. And I don't want anybody to feel guilty in bringing up something like that. I'm not here to, to do anything like that, but just simply to make the point that if faith is active and if faith is real, it's going to be proven by the way that you live your life. Somebody's going to be able to look at the way that you live and say, that man, that woman, they've got faith, and I can see it, right? And, and I think we had an awesome example in Blaine and Linda here today. And again, not here to lift up people, not here to praise people, but we can look at the two of them and say, their faith is real because they just lost a business and their, their hope is in Christ and they're not, not shaken to the core, right? <clears throat> there, there's a faith that's real and that's active there. And this is kind of what... James is talking about. He references Abraham, and, and as you go into Romans chapter 4, which we're not going to do today, but as you go into Romans chapter 4, Paul talks about the story of Abraham. And I'm sure some of you are familiar with the story. If you want a good read, read chapter 4, and then go back into Genesis and read about the life of Abraham, and you'll be able to connect some dots with what is being talked about today. But, but as I think about this, I think through this, I ask myself the question, okay, if, if I believe, if me, if Chad, if I believe that, that salvation is God's free gift and that, I, that nothing I do earns it, then 
why would I try to live my life in such a way, and, and I have, and I do, and you have, and you do as well, why would we live our lives in such a way that says, I need to, I need to be deserving of this, I need to earn it, I need to, to maintain it. And, and I'm sure there's a multitude of reasons, but I could think of two big ones just off the top of my head. Probably more than this, but, but two that I think encompass a lot of things is, is one, even though we may never articulate this, we live our lives in such a way that says it's possible for me to be deserving of the free gift of God. And what I mean by that is going back to this idea of these, these lists that we try to maintain. Right? We, we can feel good sometimes if we're, we're doing okay on the list. Right? You wake up in a day and you get to the end of the day and, and sometimes, you know, if you're like me, you think back on the day, uh, the things that you did, conversations that you had. And some days you might think, hey, today, today was a pretty good day. I was nice to people today. Um, and I re- really wanted to, to give somebody a piece of my mind, but I held my tongue. Um, you might get to the end of the day and feel like, ah, you know, put in a good day's work today. Felt like I did right by my boss. Um, you might get to the end of the day and, and even, uh, you know, you went out of your way to, to do something nice for somebody or to help a stranger, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. We can feel good about ourselves, right? So much to the point, and, and again, we may not articulate this, but, but the way we live might say that, wow, God's lucky to have me on his side, right? I really, I really contribute a lot. Right? And other days, we can get to the end of the day and just um, feel like, gosh, today was a bad day. I, I blew up at you know, somebody at work, you know, whatever. You can think of all the things that went wrong during the day. And on the other side of it, like, we can feel like we had a, a bad day because we didn't do very well at, at either list. But the fact that, that we go one place or the other in our mind, it, it shows that we think that there's this possibility that maybe if we have more good days than bad or we do more good things than bad things, that maybe we're going to be somewhat deserving of what God gives us. And, and so at the end of the day, if that's you and if that's me, and I'll tell you, that's been me, right? It's probably been you too. And at the end of the day, if, that, if that's where we land, the whole cold hard reality is that we don't trust God when God tells us you can't earn this and you don't deserve it. Right? We simply just don't trust God if that's where we land. The second reason that I could think of um, that's a big one is that we just simply don't believe that to be true. Not only do we struggle with, with trusting, like we can, we can have this belief, this acknowledgement that, okay, maybe that's true, but I'm gonna, I gotta do my own thing over here. But, but we can also get to the point where just at the end of the day, it's like, I, I, it's just not true. And here's the thing about free gifts. Have you ever been given something by someone, like maybe even a stranger, like has a stranger ever just come up to you, maybe in the grocery store or wherever, and just given you something for free? Like we're, we're kind of leery of those things, aren't we? <clears throat> I was at a concert one time with a friend of mine. It was an outdoor concert. It was in October, and it was super cold. Uh, I mean, like it was less than 10 degrees outside, really cold. And we're outside shivering, listening to some great music. And these people came up to us, and they offered us free coffee. They weren't selling it, and they, like they looked kind of weird. Um, looked like they hadn't bathed. They kind of looked like homeless guys, right? And they just... You look at it like, eh, I don't know if I want to take anything free. Like it was cold and man, I really wanted some coffee or at least something to hold just to warm up my hands. And, and because of the way that it was offered to us, I'm just like, nah, I don't think so. And then we actually went to the snack bar and bought coffee, uh, even though we had a chance to get free coffee. And, and, and again, silly story, but, but we approach the Christian life that way sometimes. God's grace, it messes with us absolutely messes with us. Why would anybody give me anything for free, especially somebody I don't know? Like I'm just, you instantly you're thinking, okay, what's their, their ulterior motives? Is this a scam? Is this, what's the deal here? Right? And, and we approach God that way sometimes. Like just this idea that, that salvation would be on the table, a relationship with the creator of the universe 
The fact that it would be on the table and there's nothing that I have to do to earn it, there's nothing I have to do to maintain it. That thought, it, like it messes with our minds. It's like it doesn't make sense. And, and especially if, if reading the, the rest of Scripture, if it's true what Scripture says about mankind, that none of us are good, that none of us are righteous, that none of us are deserving. And not, not only that, but that we, we run the opposite direction from God. Right? The Bible would say that apart from Christ, we're, we're not indifferent to God, but that we're God's enemies. Right? And, and Romans, by the time we get to Romans 5, Paul will tell us that while we were his enemies, that Christ died for us. Who does that? Think about somebody who you would call an enemy, or maybe, maybe even just somebody that you don't like. Maybe you wouldn't go as far as to even say they were an enemy, but somebody that you don't like, somebody that you don't get along with. Would you do anything for them? I wouldn't. Right? We don't live that way. We can live that way, and we'll, we'll see that by the end of today, but in, in our flesh, apart from Christ, we don't live that way. We don't live that way at all. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 10 says this, and I'll just read it. For grace, by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this dichotomy of faith and works, Paul acknowledges in Galatians, again, that there's no separation between faith and works. And as a matter of fact, as we've been saved by grace through faith, the reason that, that God has given us that gift is so that we would do good works. And those good works, Paul tells us, were prepared for us beforehand. Well, before what? Before the foundations of the earth, before the creation of the world, right? Before time began to be measured, God prepared for you and I, the fellowship of believers, prepared for us good works that we would walk in them. And, and in a little bit, we'll get to what that is and what that looks like, right? But, but, but in this, we, we need to realize that there is no dichotomy between faith and works. There's no separation. There's no division. It's not one or the other that the two go hand in hand. And, and one proves that the other exists, to be very simple. Paul goes on in verses 29 and 30 to ask the second question. So let's go ahead and read those two verses. It says, Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. So this Jew-Gentile separation, this isn't something culturally that we really resonate with because uh, we, just, we don't live in, in a culture where it's exactly like this. But, but put yourself for a moment, if you would, in, in the shoes of an Israelite back in this, this time, right? All throughout the Old Testament, we see that the Israelites are an oppressed people. Like somebody always has their thumb on the nation of Israel, right? They're always in bondage or in slavery or wandering in the desert, all these things, right? They're, there's always some, some oppression on the Jews, on the Israelites. And the hope of the nation of Israel going back to Genesis chapter 15, is that one day, one day that the Messiah would come. One day, there's going to be a Savior who's going to come and he's going to defeat our enemies. One day, a Savior is going to come and <clears throat> the thumb of oppression on our nation is going to be lifted. And this is what has been passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation. Right? One day, the hope of Israel is that they will have a savior. In Acts chapter 10, we see the first time that the gospel message had gone outside of 
the Jews and it had been made available to the Gentiles. You may remember the story of Peter going to visit the household of Cornelius and he preaches the gospel and Cornelius and his family come to faith and that was the spreading of the gospel to the Gentiles. And so by the time we get to this part in Romans, it's, it's been about 20 years roughly since that had happened. And so this idea that somebody who wasn't a Jew by heritage could, could receive the gospel was kind of still a mind-blowing thing culturally, right? It's kind of, you know, think about for us, like, you know, the segregation that was way back, uh, you know, in the, in the 50s and, and even before that, same, same kind of mentality. And so Paul, in asking this question, is God the God of the Jews only? A very zealous Jew might say, yeah, like it was pretty progressive thinking for a Jew to, to answer that question and say, well, no, he's the God of everybody. Right? And so Paul asked this question, and, and maybe something that we can identify with a little bit more easily today, uh, to put it in terms of the religious versus the irreligious. Right? If you know much about the Jewish people, they were all about living by the letter of the law. They took the, the Ten Commandments that God gave them in Exodus, and they added... Uh, another about 600 articles to the law. And if you were to be a good Jew, you would be responsible to know those things. And not only would you be responsible to know them, you'd be responsible to live by them, by the letter of the law. And so you can imagine as, as an Israelite that there's some sense of entitlement that comes along with being God's chosen people being the people that God revealed himself to, being the people that God gave the law to, being the people who tried to live by the letter of it. You can imagine this entitlement that comes along uh, in their culture. And when the message of salvation, the message of the gospel goes outside their culture, they were kind of freaked out by it. And so imagine for us today, right, we're, we're the religious crowd that's here today. Right? We might say that the irreligious crowd is at home, maybe still in their jammies or getting ready to watch football. Right? I'm, I'm good because I'm here. You guys are you're here. Like at least we're not at least we're not doing that, right? We we might have sacrificed the big game today to, to come here. Might have sacrificed sleeping in to come here, right? Brave the cold temperatures. Right? We're here. And we, we might be looking at the people that aren't here the irreligious crowd, and we might have this, this similar mentality, right? We may never articulate this, but, but what we might say in our minds is that I'm, I'm way more deserving of salvation than the people that are sitting at home and watching football today that, that never come here, right? We, we, might, we might think like that. <clears throat> God owes me because I'm here. Not only am I here today, but I may come down tomorrow. Right, you out and about during my, I may just pop in and see what's going on, right? Just because it's what good, it's on my do list, right? Pop into the church this week and see see what's happening, right? I'll probably be here on Wednesday. I might be here on Thursday. Um, probably be here on Friday for the dress rehearsal. I'll be here on Sunday for the the Christmas. I'm going to be here all kinds of times this week, right? I'm here more than anybody else. Man, God's lucky to have me. God even owes me because. Like, man, I, I do so much. Right? We, we develop this sense of entitlement pretty quickly. We really do. And we look at the people that don't do the things that we do. People that don't live the way that we live. Right? And we compare. Yeah, better than that guy. Right? That guy may be better than me, but I'm better than all these people over here. Right? So in asking this question, is God the God of the Jews only? <clears throat> I might ask us today, is, is God the God of the religious only? Is God the God of just you that showed up today and not the God of those that didn't show up today? Right? Dumb question. We know the answer to that. God is, is the God of all, and Paul tells us in these couple of verses He's the God of the circumcised and the uncircumcised. And that's just simply alluding to the people that, that 
live by the letter of the law and he's the God of the people that don't live by the letter of the law. Matter of fact, he might even be saying in this, you're asking the wrong question. The question isn't, do you live by the law or not? It's the wrong question. And we'll get into that in a moment as well. Galatians chapter 3 says this in verses 2 through 9. Let me ask you only this. <clears throat> Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of the faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So Paul references Abraham again here. Way back in Genesis chapter 15, the beginning of the Bible, God tells Abraham that all of the nations of the earth are going to be blessed by you. He tells Abraham that you're going to have so many descendants that they'll be like the stars in the sky. In other words, there's so many that you're not even going to be able to count. He also tells him that your descendants are going to be like the sand on the shore. Right? Have you ever tried to count even a handful of grains of sand? You can't do it. And Paul sheds some light on that here in this Galatians passage saying that, that anybody who is of the faith, that's you. The sand, the stars that can't be counted, that's you. Doesn't matter, Jew, Gentile, religious, irreligious, good, bad, doesn't matter. If you are of the faith, doesn't matter your background, your heritage, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if, if, you're, if you deem yourself better than somebody else or more worthy than somebody else. It doesn't matter. What matters is faith, and, and we'll get there in just a minute. Think, think about this. When God gave Abraham the law, or when God gave Abraham the, the, the promise, and when he credited him as being righteous, this was long before the law was ever introduced to Moses. I never, I never thought about that before until a couple of weeks ago. Something I read, uh, one commentator said that. Abraham was considered righteous long before the law was ever given to Moses. And so how could Abraham be righteous if there wasn't any law to follow? There wasn't anything that says if you do these things, then you're good. That didn't exist. Yet God looked at Abraham and said, because of your faith, you're righteous. And if you want to read about Abraham's story, you can do that on your own time. But you see the outworking of faith in the life of Abraham. You see that his faith is real by the way that he lived his life in several instances. And so God counted him righteous long before there was ever a law by which he could measure his performance. I just thought that was an interesting thought uh, in that and just further supports this idea that we can't do anything in and of ourselves to attain righteousness. So is God the God of the Jews only? No, he's not the God of the Jews only. He's the God of the Gentiles. He's the God of the religious, the God of the irreligious, the God of the good, the God of the bad. The religious people don't have a separate God than the people who are not religious or the good people don't have a, a different God from the people who aren't as good. There's one God and that one God has made the offer of salvation, has made the offer of righteousness available to all. Regardless of, of any of it. And so there's no, there's no dichotomy there between religious, irreligious, good, bad, any of it. Yet we, we tend to place a dichotomy there that doesn't exist. It's a false dichotomy. The third question that Paul asks in verse 31, let's go ahead and read it. 
says, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. And, and by the time we get here, uh, I, don't, I think this is a fair question. Right? Paul's been working hard, and we've been working hard today to establish that I can't attain my own righteousness. Nothing I do gives me a better standing with God. Right? And if that's true, it's kind of a fair question to say, does faith overthrow the law? Which is it? Do, do, do I believe or do I do? And this is real similar to the, to the faith and works dichotomy, but it's a little bit different. And Paul really unpacks this idea in chapters 6 through 8. So if you want some extra reading to do on your own time, you can read Romans 6 through 8. Paul really gets into this in depth, and we're not going to cover that much ground today. Um, but I will read one passage in Romans chapter 8, verses 2 through 4. It says, For the law of the Spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so here we see... Not only a dichotomy between faith and the law, which is false, but we see a dichotomy here which is real and that's true and that does exist. And it's walking in the law of the flesh versus walking in the law of the spirit. This is one of those things where it is one or the other and not both. Going back to this idea of, of maintaining our lists, we try really hard to make it both. We try really hard to sometimes walk in the flesh and walk in the spirit and try to find the, this middle ground that we can feel good about. And, and Paul shatters that dichotomy here by telling us it's one or the other. It can't be both. These are two things that don't go together. Right? The law of the flesh referring to those lists that we keep. The law of the spirit, well, what is that? In order for this to make a little more sense, maybe we need to answer that question. What is, what is it that is the law of of the Spirit. Paul tells us that the law is weakened by our flesh, right? That God's law that He gave was perfect in our flesh because of our inability to keep it, that we made the law weak. In other words, we are weak in our flesh. And in order to remedy that, Jesus had to come in human flesh, step into humanity, perfectly fulfill the law that we were not capable of fulfilling take on the punishment for sin that we were deserving, that he was not deserving of, to take on the condemnation of sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement, Paul tells us, would be fulfilled so that we would quit trying to walk by the law of the flesh, that we would be able to walk by the law of the Spirit. So what is this law of the Spirit? Jesus sums up the law for us in two simple commands. Jesus takes the entirety of the Old Testament law, right, all 613 articles of the law, and he sums it up into two things. You guys know what that is. He says to love God with everything that you have and to love the people that God loves. And if you can do those two things, that takes care of everything. It takes care of some of the silly issues that they had about what you could and couldn't do on a Sabbath day. It takes care of some of the issues they had about what type of food was acceptable or unacceptable. Right? It takes care of everything if you can manage those two things. Love God with everything you have and love the people that he loves. Right? So we can say that the law of the spirit is simply that, to love God and to love his people. And so if that's true, what Paul is saying here is that, that Christ came in the flesh, stepped into humanity, lived the life we weren't capable of, took on the punishment of which we were deserving, so that we could quit trying to maintain our lists and simply love God and love his people. Right? And I say simply, not because it's an easy thing to do, but it's, we should be able to grasp the concept. Right? It's hard to do. People are hard to love. Right? I'm, I'm sure I have my moments where I'm hard to love, and so do you. 
right? So this, so I'm not saying this is an easy thing to do. It's a very difficult thing to do, but, but it's not ambiguous. It's not something that we should be scratching our heads saying, what, what are, what's he saying? Right? Very simple. Love God and love his people. And if we can do that, if you can live, if I can live that way, and if we can do that by faith, in other words, if the outworking of our faith is that we would love God and that we would love people, then we're walking by the law of the Spirit. And in so doing, we prove that our faith is real and that our faith is active. And here's the thing on faith, and we've talked about this before. <clears throat> like, where does faith come from? It's important that we understand this. My faith doesn't come from me. I'm not capable of digging down deep and mustering up faith when I need it. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that it's Jesus who is the author and the perfecter, or your translation might say finisher, of our faith. So in other words... The faith that I have, the faith that you have, it doesn't originate with you. It doesn't originate with me. It originates with Jesus. He grants us faith. And not only does he grant us faith, but he's the one that perfects it. He's the one that finishes it. He's the one that brings it to perfection, brings it to conclusion. That's kind of a freeing thought. I mean, that, that should lift a burden. Right? Have you ever been in any kind of situation where you've thought to yourself or someone has told you, ah, you just got to have faith, right? We've been there. And that's true. We got to have faith. But where we look for it makes all of the difference in the world. If I look for it inside of me, I'm going to find, and you're going to find that it's not there, right? But when we begin to look to Jesus, <clears throat> the author of faith, the one with whom faith originates, and the finisher, the perfecter of faith, then we're going to find it. And so that, that should be freeing, and that should take some pressure off of you and me to try to produce something that we're not capable of producing. Right? And when we can grasp that faith, when, when we're granted that faith, and we can take hold of that faith through grace, the result of that faith is that it's going to work itself out in the way that we live. And so at the end of the day, you could, you could have two people and you could pit them one against the other. You can have the guy who's working really hard to maintain the lists. And he might look like a pretty good guy. <clears throat> he might look like a pretty moral guy. He might be an upstanding person in the community. And you can take the guy who, by faith, is walking by the law of the Spirit. And you can put these two guys side by side. And the way that they live may look very similar. But here's the thing, that the motivation that, that gets each guy out of bed in the morning is very different. And if you're the guy or the gal that's trying to maintain the list, you've got, you got to know that some days the motivation may be there and some days it may not be there. Maybe a lot of days it's not there. And I know that because it's true for me. There's some days that I, like, I just don't have any motivation to love people. Some days I do, but some days I don't, and I don't probably more days than I would care to admit. But when we're holding on to Jesus, when we're grasping Jesus and looking to him as the author and the perfecter of our faith, then it works it out in our life, and it's not a matter of motivation. It's not a matter of, am I feeling it today or not? That's not even a question if we're walking by the law of the Spirit. And so there again, there, there's no dichotomy between faith and law. There's no dichotomy. The only dichotomy that exists is walking in the flesh or walking in the spirit. Right? As far as what we've read today, that's the only true dichotomy where it has to be one or the other. It can't be both. And so the question for us today is, like, am I, am I walking in the law by the law of the flesh or am I walking by the law of the spirit. And if I'm on the, the side of the, the flesh, how do I get to the side of walking by the law of the spirit? And, and I'll just tell you for me, I hope this is true of, of you guys too, but I'll just speak for me. I become more and more convinced all of the time that 
<clears throat> much of the Christian life is about how we respond to what it is that we say that we believe. Right? And we've talked about this before. Think about loving your enemy. One of the hardest things in the world to do. Can't, I can't think of many things harder than to love somebody who you call your enemy. There, there is not a day where I have any motivation to do that. Not even an inkling of motivation to do that. And that's probably true for you. <clears throat> but when we begin to piece together the gospel, the puzzle of the gospel, and we begin to understand, and, and this is, I believe, just a process that happens over time for many of us. I don't, I don't know that the light bulb just comes on one day. Maybe it does for a few of us, but I think many of us, this is a process and it, and it takes some time to, to gain some understanding and to be able to piece these things together. But as we begin to, to piece it together and, and understand the message of the gospel that apart from Christ, like I'm not indifferent to God apart from Christ. I am God's enemy if not for Christ. When I believe that, I mean really, really believe that, when you really, really believe that, the only response that makes any sense whatsoever is that you would love God with everything that you have and that you would love his people like there's no tomorrow. Including people who you would call your enemy. And in reality, when you realize that you were God's enemy and God pursued you when you were running hard the other direction, if you really believe that, then you would look at people who you call your enemy and say, I've been there. That was me. And like, in a, in a sense, you almost don't have enemies because you realize like I was God's enemy and he loved me and he pursued me. And that's what makes it possible is, is it's, it's a response to the gospel. If it's anything else other than that, you and I are, are walking according to the law of the flesh and we're going to fail at it. Time and time again. And so I wish we had more time today to dwell on this because I think there's a lot that could be said about this, but, but we, don't, we don't have a bunch of time to, to dwell today. <clears throat> but I think if I were going to drive one thing home here this afternoon, is that the Bible says that we're unrighteous. Mankind is unrighteous. There's not a single one of us apart from Christ, who is righteous. Right? That's bad news. And the bad news gets worse because God requires righteousness of all of us. God requires that you and I be righteous. Right? And it gets a little worse because we're powerless to become righteous. Even if we had the motivation, we don't have the ability. Right? And, and it gets even a little worse. There's only, there's only one who's righteous. And the part that makes that worse is that it's not you and it's not me. Right? So it's so like the bad news. We're like we're piling on the bad news here. But it gets better. Right? It gets worse before it gets better. But it gets better that, that we, can, we can grasp righteousness. Not because of the way we live. Not because of the things that we do. Not because we're special. Right? But we can grasp righteousness through Jesus. Jesus was the righteous one. Jesus was the one that, that met God's righteous and holy and just requirement. Jesus was the one who was punished for our unrighteousness. The punishment that we rightfully deserved. And God has made a way. So, so God sets the standard. You have to be righteous. You have to be perfect. But nobody is, right? And if we just stop right there, thankfully we don't. But if we were to just stop right there, we would have to ask the question, has God set us up to fail? And if we did stop right there, the answer to that question would be absolutely. But thank, thankfully that's not, that's not the end and that's not where we stop. So, so God has a standard. Imperfect mankind, sinful mankind, can't meet the standard. And so, so God sends Jesus to step into humanity to meet the standard. Right? Pretty incredible of God. Right? Pretty incredible of God to, to set, the, set the rules. 
knowing that we can't follow the rules and then sending somebody in to live the life that we can't live. Right? So, th- so this is all God so far. You and I don't really play much of a role in this except messing it up. Right? This is all God to this point. Sends Jesus to, to live the life we couldn't live, to take the punishment that we rightfully deserve. And, and, and even if we stopped there, this still wouldn't be good news. Right? We'd still be out of luck if that's where it stopped, but thankfully it, it doesn't stop there. And, and God grants us faith. God creates in us faith. So that we could come to Jesus by grace, through faith, and that that faith would work itself out in such a way to prove that it exists, to prove that it's real, and that God would look on us like he looked on Abraham and would say, I see you as fully righteous. If you're living the life of faith. Right? In that scenario, God does a whole lot and you and I don't really do anything. Right? We don't bring anything to the table. He brings everything to the table, including the table, right? We don't bring anything into the scenario whatsoever. And and so the one thing that I want to drive home today, and and we're going to wrap up here in just a minute, uh, we're going to have communion and we're going to, we're going to close in a song, but to drive one thing home today for us, is that we need to be reminded of this, right? Some of you might be sitting here thinking, okay, this is, you know, I've heard this before. This is basic Christianity, Christianity 101. Yeah, it is, right? This is basic stuff. But Paul wouldn't address these things if we weren't so quick to forget, right? Just like me and my, my story of reveling in an accomplishment that wasn't mine, right? And I reveled in an accomplishment for a long time. I did. And I had nothing to do with it. <clears throat> right? Have you ever you ever done anything like that in your life? I'm sure I'm sure you have. Right? We we revel in this accomplishment of righteousness sometimes even though I didn't attain my own righteousness. I'm not righteous in and of myself. I even know that truth, but sometimes I still pat myself on the back. Right? I'm a, I'm a good guy, right? We do that. So, so the, the one thing to drive home today is that we would just simply be reminded of simple truth uh, because we need to be reminded of simple truth. And you know what? You might need to be reminded of this simple truth tomorrow. You might need to be reminded of this truth this afternoon, maybe on the car ride home when, when the kids are going nuts and everybody's hungry. You might need to be reminded of this truth. I might need to be reminded of this. Right? We'll need to be reminded of this next Sunday and the Sunday after that and the Sunday after that. Right? This is, this is the, the center, the crux of the gospel right here. And it always needs to be in front of us. And so I want to leave you with that encouragement. We can have the band come on up and... Um, we're going to do communion. We do communion here most <clears throat> Sundays. And uh, it's, it's not just some religious ritual that we do for the sake of, of doing it. Right? We do this so we would be reminded of these very truths. And so more than eating a cracker and drinking a little bit of juice, the significance of communion is what it represents. And it represents... Christ living the life that you couldn't live and Christ dying the death that you should have died. And because he did that, that that we're called together to fellowship in community, gospel-centered community with one another. That we would live in unity with one another. That we would love one another because Christ loved us to the greatest length possible. So we would love one another to great lengths. Right, so be reminded of that today. I'm going to pray for us, and the guys are going to pass out communion. And when you get it, just take it on your own. We won't do it together. Just take it on your own. But 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 I would ask that you guys would just ponder, even even just briefly, if that's all that you have. But just ponder these truths before you take communion. And if you're like me, sometimes it just doesn't seem like enough to to say thank you to God. Like it just seems like there's that's not even. Um, that there should be more that we could say, but, but sometimes that's all we have to say. And so be thankful 
today of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Be thankful that, that the gospel is not only for the Jews, that God is not the God of the Jews, but he's the God of us all. Let me pray for us. God, so thankful for today, thankful uh, for the body of believers uh, here at Calvary Chapel of Crook County, God, whom you've knit together under the banner of the gospel. God, thankful that we can be a part of one another's lives, thankful that we can share times together corporately like this, where we sing, where we look at your word. God, where we, we dole out handshakes and hugs like there's no tomorrow. God, let us not take those things for granted. God, thankful that we can be in one another's lives and thankful, God, that you've called us to live together in, in such a manner. Just prayerful for today, God, that as we go from here, that uh, the truth that we talked about today, God, would sink into our minds, that it would sink into our hearts. Not, not because of, of me or anybody else, but God, because the Holy Spirit is at work and alive in the lives of, of all of us that are here today, God. Let us understand this truth, maybe for some of us in a way that we've never understood it before. And God, let this truth be evident in the way that we live our lives. And God, we're thankful that you've called us together to, to take communion today. And God, may we just not take for granted uh, the life that you lived and the death that you died God, may we not take for granted the gospel. In Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the teaching ministry at Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon 97754. Or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.